the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. Of... Um, thanks for tuning in and a warm welcome to this new episode of Sake on Air the world's very first podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic alcoholic beverages, Nihonshu or sake, Honkaku Shochu and Awamori. And the show is brought to you with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. It's not the case today, but we are regularly recording at the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center which is run by the JSS and located in Toranomen, central Tokyo. Most definitely worth a visit when you come to our area. My name is Sébastien Lemoine. I'm one of your regular hosts on Sake on Air. And co-hosting with me today is Rebecca Wilson-Lai, who managed to squeeze a bit of time in her diary filled with Sake adventures. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here for this recording. Yeah, I mean, today it is our great pleasure to uh, welcome uh, on the show Mr. Junichi Masuda, who is the man at the helm of an iconic sake brewery located in Fushimi, now Kyoto. Masuda-san, it's a great pleasure to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's um, and it's it's always exciting for us to record episodes with sake brewers, actual sake sake brewers. Um, your the fact that you you have a perfect English is is helping a lot. Uh, I must say that in your profession, uh, it is not always the case. So uh, uh, really, thank you for uh, for uh, being here and um, and and taking the risk. Yes, thank you. My English is not really perfect, but I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> it looks as good as mine, definitely. <laughs> I think we, we, we would like to try to uh, start asking you, I mean, to introduce yourself and to uh, introduce your, your brewery, its history briefly and, and where it's located. Okay, so let me introduce myself first. So my name is Junichi Masuda. So you can call me Jun. I was born in this family as the oldest son. So I kind of had to take over my family business. And my company was established in 1675. So we've been making sake for 350 years in Kyoto, Fushimi area, which is popular for making sake in Japan. So my brand name, my sake brand name is Tsukino Katsura. Maybe I can uh, explain about my brand name later. Yeah, you, you need, to, you need to, to translate it to us. Not only translate it, but give us a bit of the background definitely okay uh so i was born in kyoto and raised up in uh, kyoto but i moved to tokyo for the university and i went to us for one and a half year to learn english and like learn how the sake is popular in the us when i was like uh, 21 years old then i was working at the advertisement company in tokyo for three years in 2019 Moved back to Kyoto, started to brewing sake from that time. So now, last year, I became CEO and my dad became chairman. So we are running a business together. 
So I have a question for you because often when a younger generation of a family brewery takes over the role of the kuramoto or the CEO of the brewery, often there's like an honorific change of name. Did that happen in your family? Yes, definitely. Uh, my dad's name is Tokubi Masuda and my company name is Tokubi Masuda Shoten. Shoten is something about company. So the, our founder name is Tokubi Masuda. So we've been passing down the founder's name to the next generation, next generation. So now my dad is 14th generation of Tokubi. And I will be a 15th generation of Tokubi in the future. So will, when that day comes, will you have to change your passport and your driver's license? Will you, will you have to become Tokubi? Exactly, yes. I have to change the name in Osho way. So I'm not going to be Junichi anymore if I change the name. So Jun is just a, is just a part-time name. <laughs> oh, yes. When will that happen? I mean, you, you said you just took over the, the CEO position, so Kuramoto. When do you expect to change your name? Okay, uh, basically, uh, when the previous uh, generation passed away, how can I say, they went back to their original name and get the cemetery. And only Tokubei name is coming down to me. Okay, so we hope that we're going to be able to call you Junichi for many, many more years then. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Because dad's, dad's got a lot of energy still left in him. <laughs> yes, but I, I took over my company quite young. Not quite young, but when I was 29 years old. I'm 30 years old now. So we, we kind of like are talking about to taking over my, uh, my dad's name to me when he's still alive. It's going to be soon, maybe. Interesting. So your brand is Kino Katsura. Uh, can you give us the meaning of it, of the expression, and a bit of background for it? Tsukino Katsura probably came from Chinese fairy tale. Tsuki means moon, and Katsura means the name of the tree. So it probably like a tree in the moon. There is a tree in the moon. People trying to cut it to get a forever life. So very, very old people drank our sake. They said, oh, your sake gives us like forever life. That reminds me of uh, Tsuki no Katsura story. That's why we got the name of the Tsuki no Katsura brand. I love the poetry. And in Kyoto, there's also a very famous imperial um, building, the Katsura Imperial Villa. So Katsura seems to be a name that is connected with Kyoto somehow. Is is that correct? Yes, it can be. There are many places has a Katsura tree. It's a beautiful name. It's, it evokes a beautiful image as well. So next time I drink it, I will think of the moon and that lovely image you've created. Thank you. Welcome. We, we read in a recent article that the Masuda family used to be rice farmers and that you were running an inn. So uh, before going into sake brewing um, full time, can you, can you share that, that a bit of more about that story with us? Okay. Uh, we probably started the company as the rice farmer and sake maker and some uh, kind of old Belge to stay. I grow up a rice and I make a sake at the same time. And also we, our brewery, brewery is located between central Kyoto and Osaka. So very old people, when they go to Osaka from Kyoto, 
they can stay at my place and drink sake. I mean, definitely your, your brewery is located in a slightly different area of Fushimi mm-hmm. uh, than other major Fushimi brewers. What is the reason for that? Is, is that the reason you just explained that you, that you located your business on the main road between Fushimi and Osaka? So Fushimi, uh, basically, Fushimi area is very popular, very famous for the beautiful groundwater. So that groundwater we can use for brewing. So we can brew a very good, soft and elegant sake by using that groundwater. So we luckily uh, found out the water plate under our uh, brewery. So we've been located and we've been using that groundwater for over 100 years. Okay, so water is what got you into the place you are in today. Yes. And I guess that's often been the case with other breweries, um, isn't it, Rebecca? It is indeed. And also the water of Fushimi is nationwide. It's renowned for its quality. And if you go to Fushimi, one of the things you'll notice is the wonderful waterways Water is such a special part of the Fushimi experience. Yes, definitely. Your father, your grandfather uh, have been really been innovators in the world of, of sake. Um, I'm thinking of the resurrection of, of Nigori in particular in the late in the late 60s, if I'm correct. And then there is all these beautiful uh, aged or matured sake that that you that you make available in the market as well. Um, can you can you tell a little bit? A bit more about about it as well. What what? How did it come about? Yes. Uh. So we are the first maker of unfiltered nigori sake in Japan. Uh. That was like nineteen sixty four. Yeah. We firstly uh released the nigori sparkling one, and from next year nineteen sixty five, uh, we started to age the sake. So as you guys know, we used to have a doburoku in Japan, but that was not like a Japanese sake because the government said, uh, you guys have to stop the fermentation and sell the sake. Otherwise, you can't sell as a sake because people might take the yeast and, and they make the secret sake. So government kind of afraid of not taking all, taking the, all the text from the customers. But my grandfather kind of want to have a champagne sake with their like second fermentation in the bottle. So he kind of made a special gauge. So when we filter the sake, we use the plates, like maybe 10 or 20 plates. We push the sake through to it, then we filter. But my grandfather made a gauge, he just put the gauge directly into the tank. So the fermentation things come through the gauge. So he brought the government and a tax department to my brewery. And my grandfather said to them, hey, I'm filtering. So you guys have to accept this is a sake. He's kind of tricky guy. Yeah, well, I mean, what a great story! I can Im- I can imagine the the face of the of the administration when uh, witnessing the scene. Your grandfather was not only a great innovator; he also found a fabulous loophole that we've all been continuing to jump through. A memory of a conversation came to mind, and I remember that 
talking about nigori uh, previously did not have special grades attached to it and that your father was involved with the movement to have nigori graded you know like jimai daiginjo or jimai um ginjo or jinmai whereas previously nigori hadn't been graded is that something that i'm just creating out of my head or is that something true you mean like uh the first one used to be a honjozo mm. but we tried to make uh even jumai and even jumai daiginjo nigori right so this was the, this thank you so i'd heard this story that it, your father your father or your grandfather perhaps were involved in assuring that nigori could receive this special grade designation um, whereas previously had not been able to. Does that ring a bell? Yes, that's true. So he, they kind of want to expand, expand the category of uh, Japanese sake. And I think it's much more beneficial for the brewery who is making a nigori to be able to add value by being able to promote and sell its nigori at different grades. Number one for price variation and number two for a sense of quality variation and um, also for the category itself to be regarded as something that is um, high quality and aspirational not something that's just a easy to drink style sake yes it's true it's because people love kind of sparkling if you drink nigori sake you can feel a lot of like full of the rice flavor kind of rich flavor so it's very uh, enjoyable for us we talked a little bit about matured sake. Uh, on the show, we have already explained that, uh, again, the tax policy and the uh, had been a major driver behind the sort of disappearance of the sake maturing culture uh, in, in Japan uh, in the 20, 20th century. And as you explained to us a few minutes ago, uh, since 1965, your company has been maturing sake. It means that today you have a, a beautiful um, matured sake inventory to play with, I would say, and to, to offer to the market, isn't it? Yes, definitely. For all any alcohol, like aging or vintage year, is always like a very important and puts a lot of value. But as you know, 60 years ago, people never thought sake can be aged so some brewery just maybe forget to sell or put in the tank and then becoming aged that happens a lot but we kind of want to try making a vintage sake so it's different also we my grandfather uh, luckily found out the perfect technique for aging with the room temperature from cooking book which was published in Edo period, named Honcho Shokkan. So in that book, there was an information for the aging sake. So it said, so you have to put the sake into the ceramic barrel and you have to put in the seasonal temperature. So winter is cold and the summer is hot. The sake can breathe very slowly and deeply. It gets very beautiful golden color and taste will be super, super, totally different from the fresh sake. So he really bet it. Then he said, oh, we have, we really have to do exactly the same thing. We even flew to China and they ordered the first ceramic pot 
at Keitokuchin, which is famous for the ceramic in China. What a history. Yeah, I was, I've been fortunate enough to try your H-Take, and I must say I, I, I enjoyed a lot, but I didn't know that story about uh, sourcing the ceramic jars from, from China. They are not, I mean, how many liters do they contain so that our uh, listeners can imagine what, what kind of shape they are? Uh, it shapes like a small barrel. It's like a round and it's all white, the ceramic. And it con contains uh, 25 liter per one ceramic barrel. And we push the cereal coke and covered by the old Japanese paper. And this is very important. Old Japanese paper is very much good quality, better quality. So even when, when we bottle uh, aging sake from the barrel, we very, very uh, carefully peel off the paper and make it dry. And when we bottled again, we use that paper again. So the, even for the paper we've been using for over 10 years. Well, that's fascinating. I'm definitely going to pay much more attention when I'm drinking your aged sake in the future. <laughs> I feel as though I've, now I've had this, this information, I'm going to really, really enjoy the experience much, much more. A good story does help, doesn't it? Mm. Indeed. And it is very smooth. You're right. I mean, it is so smooth and easy to drink and elegant. Part of it, I think, is the water, but also part of it is obviously this very careful maturation that it undergoes. And so definitely next time I'm sitting down with a pen and paper and I'm taking much more attention. <laughs> Maybe we have to drink together next time. Oh, that is the best idea. And good idea. Let's do that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the market for your sake, uh, Kyoto versus the rest of Japan and, and the export market, and uh, give us the, the dynamics of, um, of, of, of that market uh, over the last few years, before COVID, and then there's been COVID, and uh, which has probably changed a lot of things, or may have changed a lot of things, and the role of exports during the COVID period? Uh, so we used to, like I used the wholesaler company and then sell like widely in Japan. But since I came back to my company, I and my dad want to sell in Kyoto mainly. Yes. So I kind of want to have a business in Kyoto and outside of the country. But people can come visit Kyoto and then try our sake. And when they go back to their country, they can try my sake. That's my ideal, like a business place. Also, uh, we are very uh, local brewery. So I want to make a very strong connection with the local restaurants and local liquor stores. That's that's interesting. And um, I mean, as, as a sales policy, kind of close part of the domestic market. And I mean, I'm based in Tokyo and I'm using your sake regularly for sake testings and, and sake education. And I mean, I've introduced your sake to uh, tens, maybe more than maybe a few hundred people uh, here in, uh, in, in, in Tokyo, in particular your Nigori sake, I must say, because of the, the story attached to it. So what does it mean? I will not be able to do that in, in the near future? Or you, will it still be possible to order from you directly through, through the internet? So since COVID, 
uh, we started to do the uh, EC site to sell to the customers directly. But for the Tokyo, especially, for us, it's too many choices to choose the one, of, one pick up the sake. So I thought we would be better to sell in Kyoto, but we are still like in the process. And I know you always like <laughs> drink my sake, really appreciate it. So I mean, if I know the owner or some good restaurants, like personally, I want to sell the sake, but not like a super random or widely. I don't want to sell. Okay, so the idea is to control. I mean, to control is not the right word, um, but to to kind of validate or approve the 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 people who will handle your sake and sell it, and and you want to select people who are who are able to store sake well and tell your story well. Is that the case? And I know Rebecca, you are um, specialist in this sake distribution chain. So what can you? I'm I'm curious about this because it sounds like what you know uh, something that I I very much support is that the distribution model is based on um, you know a few powerful uh, distribution companies basically dealing with all of the sales on behalf of the brewery and while they're able to move large quantities there's not really so much market positioning and so with this strategy it sounds to me as though the brewery is sort of taking more control, sort of B2B control of sales and through that process by having sort of deciding where and whom is going to consume their sake, there is much better ability to position the brand and differentiate it in the market, which is quite crowded with other sake brands. And this is um, this kind of focused tactical approach to positioning sake brands is, I think, a very effective strategy for sustainable long-term growth. That's exactly what I'm thinking, so. <laughs> right. Yes. I think especially because um, there are so many brands on the market and, you know, unfortunately, that can mean that distributors who do a wonderful job at selling products just aren't able to give the attention that a brand needs to bring the story, the philosophy, um the, the meaning of the sake to the end consumer. And so I think that your strategy is going to help the, the, the consumer not only experience your sake in the environment that you want it to be enjoyed in, but also to have a experience with staff who are probably very knowledgeable about your brand. And that will facilitate a lovely experience, people remembering the brand, and independently going to repurchase it, hopefully through your e-commerce sites. Yes, exactly what I want, what I'm thinking. So I just don't want to sell like a randomly and roughly. I'm not telling you I'm not gonna sell to Tokyo like that, but I want to sell people who appreciate the culture of Japan and you know appreciate and enjoy my brand. That's really fabulous. It's, I really love to hear brewers who are sort of thinking to the end consumer about the sake experience, not just thinking to the delivery truck that comes to the brewery and drives the stock away. And I think that that is a really 
progressive, innovative step, which we would only expect from your brewery, which has always been innovative and progressive. Thank you. Yes. And I will sleep better tonight because I know that we'll I will still be able to find your sake in Tokyo. <laughs> Anytime. Text me. Uh, a question. I mean, right before, I think it was maybe 2018 or 19, you started a, a cooperation with a famous a Japanese guitarist, uh, Miyavi. And uh, he produces or you produce uh, a few sake for 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 him with his name as a as as a, as a brand how how did it come about and what's 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 the result how is it going what what can we expect from that uh miyavi san he used to live in the uh, us so he knows many uh kind of celebrity so they always have their original wine or champagne so but he is a japanese so he kind of want to have a, their, his original, his own sake brand to re represent the Japanese culture. But for me, I don't like uh, celebrity or famous people trying to make some sake, <laughs> to be honest. But he was visiting so many breweries in Kansai because he was born, he was born in Osaka. And then he visited my brewery and I and my dad and Miyabi-san were talking something. And he has so much passion to like represent the Japanese culture. So he really, really uh, negotiated and asking us, hey, let's do something together. Cool. So he's like a samurai. Very cool guy. Yes. So I thought we, okay, we can do. Then we just started a few years ago. Do you do you know the profile of? Oh, I'm going to rephrase my question. And and if if there is no in, interesting or no useful answer to it, just tell me. I don't know. Or it's not interesting. But what I wanted to ask you is, do, do you know who your average consumer is, like lady or man, and what age bracket and and have you seen an evolution? And, and are you trying to uh, change your product lineup to to, uh, to adapt to new demographics? Oh, yes. Uh, our customer mainly male in general as a Japanese sake. But I really want to make more female customer. So we changed the even design. So our iconic Nigori sparkling changed the design last year. And uh, make it more sparkling and dry, so you can drink with the food. Also, we're trying to uh, change the label, something uh, iconic with my logo. And also, my dad invented the kind of low alcohol sake, which has only eight percent. So we've been trying to do promotion with the sparkling and a kind of young low alcohol sake for the new category of customer may i ask a question about your demographic and maybe possibly i'm not aware of your demographic overseas but in terms of exports what are your main export markets these days mm, hong kong and singapore and some u.s 
Right, so which country did you first start exporting to? And when did you first start exporting? Is that something that's recent or something you've been doing for a while? The first country we exported was the US and New York. When my dad was uh, 30 years old, same age as me. So that was like uh, almost 40 years ago. He really wanted to make bring the sake culture to the US, to the main like a cultural city to New York. So the first year was, uh, yeah, 40 years ago. Wow, that's, that's, I mean, at the t of course, people have been exporting to um, the overseas markets for, you know, a century or so now, but not many. So that was a big risk. So your product is, you know, famously, you, you're famous for your nigori sake, which is quite unstable um, in terms of storage and transportation. So how do you ensure that your products get to the end consumer overseas in good condition? Yes, that's true. So because our nigori always nama, namazake. So we probably uh, have to care about the importer. So we really have to pick up the really good importer which can treat my sake in the cold chain. So that's why I have a very good friend in Hong Kong who is a sake samurai, used to be a sake samurai, Elliot Farber. So he's like my very close friend. So yeah, Hong Kong is one of the most biggest city we exported. I'm guessing 40 years ago, there wasn't such a, so much a conversation about cold chain, right? That's true. But US is a bit hard to export the nigori zake. Because like people think nigori is very casual, casual and cheap. But my nigori is kind of uh, trying to become a high end. I believe that nigori was exported a lot in quite large quantities to the United States because it is an sort of easy drinking style. And perhaps because of that reason, your gorgeous, refined, elegant nigori is entering a market which has uh, kind of a, an image problem maybe for nigori. People assume it's something that you have sort of drink cheaply or not really think about it so much, whereas you're wanting people to take time and appreciate and enjoy the quality and the elegance of your sake with a with a nice meal perhaps. So I guess it's um, in some ways though, that's great because your nigori is very different in the market. You know, so you're while the rest of the market might be playing in sort of the the mid range, you are sort of dominating the top end range. So I think that there's obviously still a lot of great potential for your brand to be celebrated and enjoyed um, in the United States or North America in general. And the rest of Europe, you're exp exporting to Europe as well. Is that correct? Yes, we've been exporting to the uh, to the Europe also like Netherlands and uh, Spain, even like Ibiza sometimes recently. Uh, and, I, and I used to find your product in Paris uh, more than 10 years ago, um, definitely, at uh, high-end uh, epicerie uh, grocery stores like Bon Marché in, uh, in Paris. I don't know if you, I mean, I've left Japan, I've left France a number of years ago, so I'm not, I don't know what the recent evolution is, but definitely used to find your product there. Oh, thank you. Yes, uh, we've, we've been trying to 
explorer of sake which can understand our price and uh like uh the restaurant the wine people go go to that's an interesting strategy quite a question i mean you as a kyoto brewery you are part of a community of brewers and in kyoto you have a great diversity of brewers from very large companies such as Takarashido or Gekkeikan, and and much smaller ones as well, uh, and you're not the, the the smallest one by far. And I was I was wondering about the sort of um, of common actions or, or common initiatives that you take together um, as Kyoto brewers to 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 promote Kyoto sake. And what how do you think Tsukenokasura benefits from from that? Yeah, we have a, like a Fushimi Sake Association. So all the breweries are connected. But for my age, a few breweries, like a next generation, is around my age, like a 30 years. So we always like a drink and then like talk about the future of the Fushimi Sake Brewery area. So we sometimes share with the very nice customers from brewery to another brewery. Also, we had a, always like a huge event at the local, how can I say, Shotengai. It's like an arcade. And all the like a breweries uh, get in and people can drink and try. That happens mid-November, mid doesn't it? I mean, we record it. I mean, today is, is November 29th as we record, but it was, that was last week or, or two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yes, two weeks ago. Yes, also we are... Uh, uh, trying to make a new East, which is like a locally locally in Kyoto. So we're trying to uh, share the local East each other and make different style of sake. So now that COVID is behind us and we have inbound tourism flooding back into the country, I believe that there is a huge influx of tourists and visitors to Kyoto, do you provide such services as brewery visits or um, tastings or any kind of experience for international travelers or just visitors in general? Uh, people who visit my brewery is 94% foreigner, not a Japanese. Yes. So we don't open for the public tour. So there is no tour route, but I was setting up some luxury uh, experience as the brewery visiting. So kind of VIP who stays at the good hotels and good rooms, they can be informed. Uh, you can visit the very private uh, brewery. So people, people can visit like that. So I brewery owner can give you our sake tour, and taste some vintages. So concierge at a high-end hotel, for example, the Four Seasons or the Park Hyatt or one of these kinds of hotels that are in Kyoto will contact the brewery to maybe arrange some kind of private um, visit. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. And so what I'm curious, what kind of feedback do you get from customers? Are they surprised about how sake is made or is, is what what's the 
feedback like from these kinds of visitors to the brewery? Uh, first thing they always surprised is we've been making, a, we've been running a family business for 350 years. They always said, wow, it's crazy. Even at the same place. It is crazy. <laughs> That's one of the, one of the things. Also, uh, they love the very, how can I say, domestic and a very localized atmosphere because we are not changing to the factory. It's a local building. Our brewery building has been 200 years. So we are not just making a sake, but also like taking over all the family culture and tradition. So we are making very uh, cultural uh, product, not like a sake. I always explain like this. So they're really kind of moved, maybe, I hope. Uh, do you actually live in the brewery? The Masuda family, or where, where, where do you, where, where do you live? Do you, how do, do you use the the whole house still? Yes, opposite side of the brewery, we have a warehouse, and I live in the warehouse with my family, so no commute. <laughs> Wake up and walk. I'm hoping you have an apartment in the warehouse, or you're just sleeping on the floor next to all the bottles. I'm trying to get this mental image correct. <laughs> you surely must have a bedroom. <laughs> Because like a brewery, brewing time is very quite early. Sometimes starts from still night, like 5 a.m. So better to stay at the warehouse. That's actually a question I had for you is uh, how involved are you in the actual brewing of the sake? As a, because you've got lots of other responsibilities as the owner of the business marketing planning business development so how involved are you in the in the in the brewing of the sake for my thinking to be a brewery owner at least i have to uh, have a great experience for brewing sake by myself so that's why i got into the brewery and the real brewing from 2019 Yes, and I've been brewing a sake for now four years, but I just became a CEO. So this year, from this uh, season, I'm not into uh, real brewing. Yes, I do more sales and, and making a branding. But before that, I always like uh, trying to brew, join the brewing and tasting every morning. So you spoke, you said before that you went overseas to study, and I believe you're in the States um, studying English, but I also believe that you um, studied marketing at university. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Right. So when I last saw you, it was when you were working at the advertising company you were positioned at for three years at a fabulously organized event, I must say. And I'm curious, how is that experience or the, the studies and the education, the work experience that you have in marketing, how do you think that that is going to be used? How do you think you'll use that at the brewery to progress your brewery forward? Do you have sort of, do you think that that experience will be beneficial to you? Yes, 100%. Like originally, I love designing, I love drinking, eating. I like doing branding also. 
Actually, before I went to US, I haven't decided to take over my family business. When I was in uh, US, uh, it was like a uh, 2015. So sake was expanding. So I thought sake is just for the old people. But when I visited the US, people are drinking sake with a wine glass or some after some cool music bar. So I thought it's pretty, pretty cool to take over my lovely sake business. But I kind of don't want to go back to my brewery straightly because I want to learn how to sell, how to like build up the uh, brand image. So I went to the advertisement company and I learned probably so much. So I changed design. Also, I changed the way to tell about our taste and the flavor. It's not just like a sweet and a dry. And so when you were, I mean, because you weren't just working for any advertising agency, you're working for one of the top two most influential advertising companies in Japan. It's very famous. And did organizing events and creating marketing strategies for other breweries brands, was that helpful for you? Yes, pretty much, because uh, I don't know if it's okay to say, but uh, uh, I can see the budget of, of uh, if I want to create this kind of event, uh, the other brewery spends this money. So, oh, okay, I understand. Also, yeah, it's very helpful to choose not just a Japanese restaurant to drop off the sake pairing. It sometimes maybe Thailand or sometimes maybe like a Chinese Italian. Also, if I do pairing by our sake, like I can create the very very new things. If I don't have a good experience with another brand, so I can like a more open minded for my brand now. So it was very good experience to build up so many uh, pairing event. Now, I have a question to ask you about branding uh, and design, which are two, two, two topics that you raised. Uh, I hope it's not gonna be too difficult a question. I mean, as a foreigner who learned marketing as well, who studied marketing as well, uh, I must say I'm often surprised by the number of labels that uh, breweries are releasing and the design of such labels. And if I look at your um, website today and 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 your 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 product range, I see a broad diversity of 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 labels and 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 names. I mean, you have brand names such as uh, Kasegi Gashira or, um, or or Yanagi and of course, Skinokatsura is written somewhere, but I can tell you that for a foreign consumer, for for it's it's sometimes hard to uh, identify to un, to to read to decipher uh, Japanese sake labels and associate a particular bottle with with a brand and a particular tasting experience. So what I want to ask you is, do you do you do should we expect some uh, evolution? Uh, about the, the the design of your uh, bottles and the design of your lineup in the in, in the near future. What what are your thoughts about that? Yes, definitely you can expect. Uh, probably I came back just like a few years ago. 
and suddenly became a Corona. So I was like a setting up the brand pamphlet, like SNS and change to the website, everything like a surface, but not a product. Because if I change the product, all the product in sudden, people might not buy my sake. People get might get lost. So I'm changing step by step. So last year I changed the most basic one, like a Junmai and Nigori. I already have a uh, design draft for the next one. So I'm gonna change step by step in maybe two years. Because 2025, my company will have a 350 years anniversary. So I need to build up more like distinguished uh, brand. So I'm gonna put the logo on all the products. And that logo is, is beautiful, I must say. It's, uh, the impact of, uh, of it when you find one of your well, Nigori or Junmai bottles in, in a lineup at a store is, is, is pretty strong. So yeah, I definitely encourage you to continue on that route. And also I want to uh, revival the old label with a very limited bottles. Oh, that's interesting that you say that because my market research on branding and labeling overseas is that in the domestic market where there's all this concern that, oh, foreigners can't read our labels. Oh. And that's true. We can't read the labels. There's too much Japanese on them. Um, but what people tend to do is they can react and do the absolute opposite and remove all of those traditional symbols and labels and characters from the label and create more of like a wine-like label. And the feedback is from the marketers, they don't like that. They like to have these um, images or symbols of traditional Japan. They actually prefer in many ways the traditional labels they just wish there was information on the back that explained what was on the front. So I'm interested that you said that you're going to bring back the classic label because that is actually the feedback that I'm getting from my, you know, small little market um, research um, surveys that I'm doing, that that's actually what people want. Yes, I always taught by my grandfather and my dad, if you want to create the new things, you always have to look back to the history and old things. There must be some clue to create new. So changing the label, it's just the first step. And then later, uh, if I drop off the very, very classic line, that would be very cool with the traditional innovation. That's I kind of want to express my brand, so. Question I wanted to ask you, at the very beginning of our interview is you said, I think I, I had to take over the company. That's what, I think that's what you, you said when you introduced yourself. And I, I was wondering, what, what do you mean? You mean like as a child, you already knew you would be the head of Tsukino Katsura and Masuda Tokube Shoten. Uh, how did you live with, with that? Uh, you explain as well that at some periods of time you were not that much interested in sake. So how, how did you carry that uh, until until now? Actually, my dad never told me you have to take over my family business. 
but uh, in my family, all the son has to put a kanji of sake uh, related with the sake or water in our name. So Junichi's Jun, if I write down in kanji, that means whole Jun is like uh, means rich flavor as a sake. So if people see my name, people gonna tell me, oh, you, you're like a sake-san, sake boy. So you're gonna be the next generation of Tokubi. So that was like, I told when, since I was like a kindergarten or very young, but I wasn't understand. Also, I probably knew it that I have to maybe have to take over, but I just let it go or just, yeah, didn't think it in a long time. But I just started to drinking sake and always like my grandfather bring me to the uh, sake ceramic place. And they, he always told me, hey, you have to pick up one and you're going to taste it. And sake will be changed even you change the ceramic or cups. So that was like a very, very memorable memory for me. I knew it. sake is very enjoyable. And then I would love to take over now. So it was your destiny but actually your father allowed you to decide that sake was in fact your future so he didn't give you any pressure at all is that right yes I for in my personal I don't feel that much pressure for many things maybe my dad knew it that I'm gonna be back to my to the brewery so yeah, he never told me, hey, you have to do this. You have to learn about this. But he always said, uh, don't hang out with only sake people. You have to open-minded. You have to hang out with the different, many kinds of the business people. Then you get to know how to enjoy drinking sake. That's good advice for everyone in the sake industry, actually. I think that all of us, who are deeply involved in the sake industry should follow your dad's advice. You know, the wider, more diverse our conversations and experiences, the better we can help to support the sake industry. Your dad's a very smart man. Really agree. You mentioned um, that you most definitely wanted to be involved with brewing when you decided to 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 re-enter the brewery and uh, and uh, left your previous life what about rice farming um, rice is the main uh, ingredients main commodity sake is brewed with uh, what is your relationship with rice farming how involved do you want to be with that part of uh, the design of the product uh, we we've been like a cooperating with a local farmer for over 10 years 20 years so since i came back to brewery uh, most closest uh, farm. Their son is around my age. So we always hang out. We always talk about the rice. And we always like try to maybe polish more if the rice is good. Also, we I hold event for planting and harvesting. And bring so many friends and uh, uh, restaurants and liquor stores. 
So rice farming is also, uh, of course, affects my products, but also affects, uh, how can I say, my brand and lifestyle. So not only me, but also my friend, the customer for restaurant, they can enjoy kind of, this is also drinking sake for me, even for planting and hanging out people at the farm. So very important in my life. Wow, what a rock star, Jun. You really have been amazing. Thank you so much. Sorry for my English. It's not really good enough. Yes, it's better than mine, I must say. <laughs> and Jun, it's been a, a great pleasure to, to have you on the show today. And, and, and thank you so much for your, for your time and, um, and effort. And um, we are looking, I mean, really looking forward to uh, seeing what uh, Tsukino Katsura will be and bring to the market uh, in, the next, in the next few years under your, under your guidance. And uh, so best of luck for, for the next uh, year and all the years in front of you now. Um, and you can be sure that uh, we'll be supporting you uh, in, your, in your development. And we hope we'll have you on the show again in, uh, in a couple of, uh, maybe a couple of years. And you can tell us an update, uh, of, give us an update about what you've been, um, you've been doing. Maybe that 350th anniversary would be a good time to reconnect. That's an excellent suggestion, actually. Yes, Sebastian, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, John. And thank you, Sebastian. It was lovely having this evening with you all. Thank you all. I think that will do it for one more episode of Sake on Air. Um, dear listeners, please take a moment to review our program on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you are using to enjoy the show. And do not hesitate to send us your comments and questions on questions at sakeonair.com. You can find us on Instagram at sakeonair, on Facebook or on X. Uh, Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. And it broadcasts whenever possible from the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association's Information Center, located in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a production of Podscape Production, and the editing is performed by Mr. Frank Walter. June, again, thank you very much, and, and goodbye.